0: Sunday, May 26th, the greatest spectacle in racing returns. The Indianapolis
1: 500 on NBC and Peacock. 33 of the world's fastest drivers go head-to-head for a chance to kiss the bricks, taste the milk, and claim their place in racing history. Experience the drama, the pageantry, the tradition.
2: Live from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the Indy 500, Sunday, May 26th on NBC and Peacock. Or listen on Sirius XM NBC Sports Channel.
3: It felt like I ain't played a whole season. I was like, I feel good to be back with my guys. You know, even in practice, you know, walking into the locker room and stuff like that. It was like, man, I could wait to see y'all face. Basically hugged everyone in the huddle, you know, happy to
4: be back. The one thing you do know about Lamar, you're going to get everything he's got. It turned out that he had a lot tonight. This was a great opportunity for us tonight, and uh, we we definitely didn't take advantage of it. For us, all we can do is put our head down and work and um, try to make the most of these last four games on the schedule a
3: lot of ball left everything's still in front of us so we gotta go prepare and uh get ready to go beat cincinnati just keep you know keep building uh staying focused on our craft everyone just got to do their assignments i feel you know we can pull it off
2: the post-game press conference in full pads usually a sign of enthusiasm happiness and relief and for lamar jackson And the Baltimore Ravens back on the horse with close to a full deck of cards. Lamar Jackson back after missing last week's Pittsburgh game because he tested positive for COVID-19. He's back, and he was not better than ever, but as good as ever. It was a reminder that the Ravens aren't some team that has fallen down to the dregs of the league, Chris, but they still are able, when need be, to find the gas pedal, and off they go. And here they are at 7-5 with four games left. Here we are, PFT Live, on a Wednesday morning on Peacock, Sirius XM 211. The Bree air at 9 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN. Hello, future audience. Hello, deeper into the future audience. UK and Ireland, Sky Sports, NFL, and maybe even deeper into the future, the podcast audience. Good morning, Chris. How good morning.
0: Are you? I'm doing good. How are you? What's up? Do you have any uh, chocolate milk this morning or anything to start your day?
2: No, no, I no no okay. no chocolate so milk. Want to make sure no you
0: look kind of tired today. Do you know that? Thank you, you right? very much for that. Thanks. <laughs> okay, I good. appreciate that. All right, good. just wanted to get the good vibes going on a morning. Good to see morning. you too. Good to Thanks. see you as well. Thanks. I like this.
2: uh it it uh, it was a it was a different kind of a night it was a crazy kind of a night i've had trouble reminding myself what day it is today because these it is, tuesday night games right. are so rare and i feel like there should be a game tonight because there's one tomorrow night there were two monday there was one last night let's just go ahead and play a game every night of the week except friday and saturday which legally the nfl can't do but let's play them and last night's game was was you know it 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 34 to 17 suggests it was more of a blowout than it was. It it was in doubt for a while. It the was. first half was exciting, right? It was almost a hail Mary, a hail CD where the, the, I, I, I don't know Poses how many times baby. I can recall a hail Mary where the ball actually goes through the hands of the receiver and he has a clear shot at catching it. So it was an exciting game. It was fun to watch. And, you know these teams play each other once every four years. It's neat to see them on the field together, and I I, I like Tuesday night football. I, I do too. I mean, listen, I'm I'm enjoying it. I, I you
0: know it gives us something to talk about. But you're right. It's just great to okay, the day of work is done. Whatever, eat some dinner, and now you got something to look forward to at night. I mean, it it really is. It's great to sit there on the couch and watch a real football game. And like we always talk about, to focus on one game. I think that's the best thing about it. Game had a little bit of everything, though it did. I mean, you're right. There was drama early on. Baltimore kind of looked like they were asleep at the wheel or weren't playing really good football, you know, early. Whether that's the Lamar Jackson, you know, interception. Justin Tuck, uh, Tucker misses the the field goal. You never see that. That was like the total kabosh jinx by joe buck and troy aiken to talk about it that much that was unreal how that unfolded it's almost like they
2: were doing it it to see if it worked right they were like that waving a wand saying I, does this wand work let's try to wave this wand in the direction of justin tucker to see if it works and it worked
0: it, i mean it was great i mean the way joe buck did it did it too i said i'm gonna be confident and he's gonna hit 71 we're not gonna jinx him here then, i mean it's just amazing how that happens but uh It was there to be had a little bit early on with Dallas to go, whoa, they could take control of this game and put Baltimore down by double digits or put them in some tough spots. But that never really came about. And Lamar Jackson and that offense kind of found their way. And then you know Dallas stinkiness on defense finally started to show itself on play after play after play, and we see their issues there. So it was a good night by Baltimore. I will say it wasn't perfect and I also will say the defensive performance by Baltimore was a little concerning. So those are my little takes
2: of the night, Mike, uh, more than anything as far as the game is concerned. There was a moment fairly early on that reminded me of the Seahawks game from a year ago when the Ravens first really hit the radar screen as an elite team when Lamar Jackson insisted on going for yeah, it on fourth right. down. And, you know, this wasn't mentioned in real time during the broadcast. And I know that they are processing a lot and they don't see what we're seeing. They're initially watching the field, but you could see Lamar Jackson on fourth and two. Yeah. That play that resulted in the 37 yard touchdown pushing, right? Get out of here. Yeah, right. Uh, we're going for it. And,. And that was like the moment that he took it all on his back and he exploded down the middle of the field. And they showed on the replay there was a giant hole in the middle of the defense where there was no one there to even try to catch him, not that anyone on that field could have caught him. But that that was the moment where the rest of it just felt like details, even though, again, it still was in doubt. It still was close. They still could have blown it. But with that kind of of just explosion – from Lamar Jackson, you felt like if they needed something like that later in the game, they'd get it again. They really didn't need something like like that later in the game.
0: No, they didn't. But that was our first like, oh, wait, okay, they are going to – they are going to gash them in the run game. They are going to make big plays. Because up to that point, you're a little scared. You're looking like, oh, man, Baltimore doesn't look like they got it all the way here. What's going on? Uh, But great leadership by him. You know, again, having confidence in thyself. And then Jim, I you know, I, I give John Harbaugh a lot of credit. You know, he, he does listen to his players in these type of situations. And Dallas just outmanned up front, not big enough. And then Leighton Vander Esch, who's really responsible for that backside gap, he was in a tough spot. There's a lot of movement going on, and he doesn't make the play. And once Lamar Jackson gets a step on you, it's over. Um, but even with that, Mike, you know, they score the touchdown, and it does, it makes you feel good. Then... The kick return happens for Dallas, and they're down there close again, and you're going, holy cow, I mean, what what is going on here? But then the game settled in, and Baltimore clearly showed that they were the better football team.
2: The, the animation from uh, next-gen stats is, is impressive because it, it's as efficient as it can be. The closest distance between two points is a straight line, almost virtually, literally a straight line down the field for Lamar Jackson. But that's what happens when you have that kind of burst acceleration and speed. You don't have to make any moves. And and you look at how everyone was clustered up the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Once you get past that first level, you're gone. That's it. No one has a chance. And there goes Lamar Jackson. Shereen Williams had been saying with exaggeration that the Ravens would put up 300 rushing yards against the Cowboys. And her exaggeration was almost yeah, right on correct. the money, 294. Right. We thought 265 a few weeks ago against the Steelers was a lot, 294 against the Dallas Cowboys. They just couldn't stop J.K. Dobbins, Lamar Jackson, and Gus Edwards just like it was against the Steelers. And, and as this team gets back to full strength, this team will be dangerous down the stretch. And what a Monday night game it sets up to be when the Ravens go To play the Cleveland Browns. The Ravens won 38-6 in week one. The Browns got their signature victory over the Titans on Sunday. Wow. And the the Browns got two extra days to get ready for this one. It's another six-day turnaround for the Ravens. As they ease back into a normal schedule after their COVID-19 debacle. And the Browns have an extra day because they played on Sunday. Anyway, so two net extra days for Cleveland. They're going to need them if this Ravens team continues to hold it together the way they did last night
0: yeah well they're they're gonna need them but Baltimore is gonna need practice too too because that you know that game did not make me feel like you know like I said earlier confident and warm and cozy about Baltimore hey yeah that run game we know it's an issue and when they do have the three-headed monster at running back I mean Gus Edwards Ingram looks like he's getting closer to being like totally 100% himself Uh, and then J.K. Dobbins man they got a little of everything to offer for or offer to you as far as a defense, the sledgehammer and Gus Edwards. You know, J.K. Dobbins on the edge running and his speed, and then Ingram has a little bit of both there, more of the sledgehammer. Cleveland, though, you know, they're going to be able to run the ball on Baltimore too. I mean, again, we've seen teams do that to Baltimore. That's kind of the the, the bad thing about them right now, or at least the thing I'm concerned about. And, you know, again, I know they've gone through a lot and haven't had everybody healthy and there, and they're even banged up to this point still, which I do think affects their defense. Some injuries in the secondary, they're not totally healthy up front. That takes away Winks Martindale's ability to do a lot of creative fronts and things like that when he's not com- comfortable with what he's got in the coverage in the back end. So I think that's hamstrung them a little bit, but still – I expect that to be a very close football game with the way Cleveland's playing right now and Baltimore being kind of up and down. I mean, I think it's there to be had. The Browns could establish
2: themselves as as one of the new kings of the AFC North. Let's put a pin in that moment that Lamar Jackson reminded us all that he's still Lamar Jackson. Here he is after the game, talking about that moment on fourth and two.
3: I ain't going to lie to you, I wasn't even thinking about it. it. would be a fourth down after the play got called. You know, I'm just like, we just got to keep it going, like convert. But um, yeah, you know, we did a great job. You know, prior to that, I think we got stopped on um, the job before that. So we had to go put points on the, um, on the board. You know, we were driving the ball downfield. Our defense plan, you know, lights out like always. We, we just had to do what we had to do. And Coach called that play. The line did great. I just had to finish it
2: off. And he did finish off. And. Between the Browns and the Ravens, the Cowboys have given up over 600 rushing yards in two games this year. Cleveland had 307. The Ravens had 294. Unbelievable for them. Unbelievably bad for the Cowboys. And you really do have to wonder. They're now three and nine. We had a little clip of Ezekiel Elliott post game where he sounds kind of strangely optimistic. You're three and nine. I understand that first place in the division is five and seven but three and nine, their best case scenario is seven and nine. What a horrible season for the Dallas Cowboys. And I know it went off the rails when Dak Prescott got injured, but there was so much hype about how they went out and got Andy Dalton. They had the foresight to have a veteran quarterback. Look, this has just been bad. And the defense has been abysmal all year long. That Cleveland game was before Dak Prescott got injured. The defense is horrendous. They got a lot of work to do in the off season by way of getting players who can run what Mike Nolan wants to do or getting rid of Mike Nolan, yeah. all due respect and hiring someone who will work better with the players they have.
0: Yeah. That, that I mean, that's it. It's one of those two options, but I mean, it's, it's amazing that it ever got to that point. I mean, we discussed this a lot earlier in the year when Dallas was a team we talked about more, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable. you know, two things I think that's worth mentioning there that you brought up, you know, first off it's three wins. It's only one win since Dak Prescott's been out. Only one win. I do think, like, I mean, that there, there's there's enough talent on this team to make things a little bit more salvageable, maybe win more games. I, I will say that on the offensive side of the ball. It's been disappointing, that performance, just lack of explosiveness still with those weapons and Andy Dalton, like you're saying. But the defense is just atrocious. That's why you, you couldn't pick them in the game last night by any sense of the imagination because – it doesn't even look right, their defensive line. It, they don't even look like a big-time NFL you know, front four or anything like that. And there's just so many plays where they're asking guys who have no business playing two-gap defense, right, Mike? Here we talk about two gaps are made for the giants of football that can hold an offensive lineman up and then sit there and disengage no matter which way the ball goes. You know, They don't have those guys. And against the Baltimore Ravens, them trying to do that, good night. And that's why you saw some plays for Baltimore where nobody's touched until they were 15 or 20 yards down
2: the field. The Cowboys Ravens game had another wrinkle that we were fascinated Whoa. by. I know I was Des Bryant cut by the Cowboys abruptly in April of 2018. After all the money had been spent in free agency, which made it harder for him to find a new home. He eventually did with the saints an Achilles tendon in his first practice, sat out all of 2019, landed on the Ravens practice squad and I still believe that the flirtation with Des Bryant was an effort to placate guys in the locker room that wanted Antonio Brown but Des worked hard he worked out he got to the active roster being called up then he made it to the active roster permanently at least as permanent as it ever is in the NFL and anticipating he was we were everyone was Des Bryant on the field against the team that drafted him 10 years ago And he was on the field getting ready for the game when he found out he won't be playing in the game because of a positive COVID-19 test. And here's what happened. And this is one of the strange, I don't want to say inequities of the process, but it kind of is. The closer you are to one of the five bioreference laboratories the quicker you get your results for the daily PCR testing. And the Ravens are close to a laboratory. One of the five labs is in Maryland. Mm. So the sooner that the samples physically arrive at the lab, the sooner they get tested, the sooner you get the results. And all year long, the Ravens have been routinely getting their results in that five to 6 p.m. Eastern time window every day. I think they get tested a little bit later for a, a game night day? game. Right. Right. Game day, night game. You get tested a little bit later, but the results came in right around seven Eastern for Des Bryant. The off-site PCR test by bioreference laboratory showed inconclusive. So test him again. And The NFL has shifted, and this has been fairly quiet, in large part because most of the fans don't care. But what's happened is they've gone from the on-site point-of-care test, the low-accuracy test that looks for the antigens, not the actual virus. They've moved from that to a system created by Mesa, which is essentially, not essentially, it is an on-site PCR test that looks for the actual virus. And it's pretty accurate. So they gave Des Bryant the on-site Mesa PCR test, and it was positive, and that was that. He's yanked from the game. This is the closest the NFL has come to what happened in the World Series game, where the Dodgers player got yanked during the game. Right. And the NFL has said they would do it during the game. This is before the game. Just before the game, they find out Des Bryant's positive. He's off the field. He's not happy. He had a tweet storm last night, which at times was a little bit emotional, as it would be. He's I can't ready blame the him. Cowboys, he gets pulled off the field. I have said the same thing. I'm right. done. I'm quitting. I'm never playing again. Right. And 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 look, I I think that he'll eventually realize that the smart move is to keep playing. But he was unhappy, and I can understand why he was unhappy because you're locked in. You're ready to go as far as you know. You're playing football. You're not even aware that something like this can happen, and it happens, and it happens to you. In what you think is the biggest game of the year. So he ultimately said, yes, he's coming back. He's being smart. So he just had to work out that that anger. initial emotion frustration. Yeah, I don't blame him. No,
0: I mean, gosh, man, the guy's been through everything. I mean, been through everything. First off, he hasn't had like the easiest life in the world. Yeah, he played in the NFL, did, all, did some great things. We know that has the injury, you know, Dallas lets him go. Okay, it's close to coming back with the New Orleans Saints. Has another injury. That hurts him there. You know, and then he's sitting out of football waiting for his chance. He finally gets his chance. He's just getting back into, like, kind of playing shape, playing form. And, oh, man, the team that drafted me and let me go and the city that I still live in, they're coming to town, the Dallas Cowboys. And it's a big game for us. And they stink. And maybe I have a chance to go off and you know, shove it where the sun don't shine. For, as far as that they're concerned, I mean that that's just a heartbreaker. And then to be teased, it's one thing to like get hurt during the week or you know pull a hammy on a Friday, but you're like get it's game day now, and you're all you're taught thinking about his game, and now you're getting go on the field and warm up. Like, as a player, I mean, that, that you're, you're in a total different mindset. You're foaming at the mouth. You can't wait. And I can't even imagine how much he couldn't wait for for this type of scenario. So uh, I feel for him, and I understand that onslaught of tweets and everything like that. But he did drink some wine, and he coped, and he's going to be back. So I'm happy about that.
2: All we have from Dez are the tweets. We've got some sound from both John Harbaugh, the coach of the Ravens, and Dez Bryant's teammate, Derek Wolfe, on what happened with Dez. Here they are.
4: Well, that's a big challenge you know i mean the timing of this thing is it's a crazy kind of a deal but we'd already turned in our inactives and uh and then we were informed eric came down and told me that um des had a um, an inconclusive test and they were retesting uh, one of the one of the quick tests they have the mesa test and we had to wait on that and uh, in the meantime the league told us we would not be allowed to bring a different player up if he if he tested positive but if he tested positive that he wasn't going to be allowed to play My understanding that they did all the contact tracing, all the procedures were followed as far as any other player is concerned. But then they came back out while we were on the field in pregame warmups and said that uh, he had tested positive and so he would not be allowed to play. And that's where we were at. So we played with a man short on that one. We didn't find out until like I was in full pads, taped up, eye black on, ready to go. You know, and then when they came in the locker room, like, hey, Dez can't go. And then we were like, well, no. The NFL made us play a guy short. The league made us play a guy short. So they wouldn't let us bring another guy up, which is, you know, to me, I think we maybe need to look at that rule and maybe change it. But that's the rule. So we got to play by the rules. But, you know, with COVID, I think we have to have some leeway to, to change that, you know.
2: Yeah, both guys are referring to the rule this year that allows teams to bring up to 16 players from the practice squad to the active roster on game day, but after the inactives are turned in 90 minutes before kickoff, that's it. The rosters are locked. But like, maybe come there on. does need to be. There's, There's no does wiggle to be room for where, this? Yeah. yeah well, may- maybe there should be because you know, we-, we knew because the NFL said in the aftermath of that Dodgers game they would pull a guy off a of field during a game if they found out he tested positive. We hadn't thought about, and maybe they hadn't thought about the possibility of getting a positive during that window from 90 minutes before kickoff and kickoff, where you could tell a replacement from the practice squad, get in your uniform, get ready, you're playing. So that is something that I think they should consider, even if it is just for the final four weeks of the regular season, because that does eliminate some of the unfairness. Now, there's a lot of skepticism, and Dez is one of the ones who raised this question himself. How is it that you can play the game if I've tested positive? Because what this means is... He showed up for work shedding virus. He was in the locker room shedding virus. He was out on the field before the game shedding virus. And the NFL, and initially I saw some reports citing sources, sources, sources. I asked the NFL, you know, can you explain to me what happened? They gave me a statement on the record. Here's what happened. We did the contact tracing. The system worked. The protocols worked. We talked to the right people. We checked the contact tracing device. And, you know, maybe it's a testament to the Ravens learning the hard way yeah. from their outbreak to keep apart in the locker room. Right. And it helps when it's a home game. We've talked in the past about how the visiting team locker room can be a little bit cramped. And Definitely. you gave us a fairly graphic example of someone's butt in your face. Yes. But, the home team locker room, you can you can spread out. And it sounds like they were smart about it. The one glitch in all this, though, Chris, and there was a photo posted by Ryan Mink, I believe his name is, who works for the Ravens' digital operation of Des Bryant out on the field hugging people before the game. And, you know, the NFL's reaction to this is it's still not enough. And obviously that tweet was deleted once it became clear that there were questions about, Des Bryant possibly spreading virus before the game. But remember, that quick interaction is not a concern. It has to be a sustained contact, the viral load that gets passed from one person to the This isn't just that one. And I don't understand it. I'm not an I, epidemiologist. No, I, it's I defer to those who yeah. do. But it it isn't just that one microscopic molecule that's floating through the air. It takes enough that it gets into your body, it takes root, and then the process of multiplication begins. And that's one of the things they've learned in the eight months we've been dealing with this. So the NFL's position is, yeah, it's no big deal if he was hugging people out on the field before the game. The reality is you've got to be in closer contact for a sustained period of time to be at risk of catching it. Now we'll see. We'll see. We'll test that yeah. theory. We'll find out if anyone from the Cowboys that he may have been hugging last night pops with a negative or, or positive, or if any of the the Ravens teammates do, and they end up with a new outbreak. That would be awful if that happened. But uh, you know, it's it's not it's not quite as clear or quite as easy. Because you just don't know. You have to wait and see. But the NFL is confident that the protocols worked and they, they got to where they needed to be, even though no one else was shut down and the game was allowed to proceed.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it, it does seem like it's a loophole a little bit. I mean, certainly. But we have enough evidence of guys being on the field with, that are positive. And other guys on the football field don't get it. I mean, we, we do have that. So that doesn't mean, oh, yeah, just because he hugged a guy. I mean, I still that, that picture of Stefan Gilmore... Face to uh, face, face to face with Patrick Mahomes right after that game will always stand up in my mind to just like okay outside yep and then, and then all the things you're talking about that you know sustained transmission and everything there too. The other thing that I think probably you know saved the Baltimore Ravens and saved the game in general too is you know you look at the pregame pictures and everything. It looks like Des was there very early. Like he's one of the only players on the field in almost every pregame shot I saw. So, I bet you he was one of the first people in the locker room. I bet you there wasn't a lot of guys there yet, too. I bet you that saved them a little as far as the contact tracing and him not around people because most times, NFL football game, you got an eight o'clock game. I would say everybody's in the locker room by around six o'clock, right? Somewhere. Everybody's in there. But. A lot of the love football guys want to be there, do everything like that. They they might get there at 4.30, 5 o'clock, maybe even earlier than that. And it looked like he was there significantly early, and maybe that helped out the situation as far
2: as people being around him. Des was probably there as early as he could possibly right? be because he had a lot of passion. He wanted yeah, to play the day. Cowboys. He wanted the Cowboys to see, here I am, I'm still around. Let's hear quickly from – Lamar Jackson on Des being pulled and uh, and how the team reacted to that development.
3: Well we found out when we was on the field you know um, warming up and we only had like four receivers out there you know we was looking around for him then he told us it was like we just gonna have to pull the game for him you know we got to win that game for him because we know how much it meant to him you know he had been talking about it uh, for a minute now since he's been here so that's just is I don't know I don't like, like you know what happened but it, it is what it is we got the victory for him. Um, I'm feeling for him, though, because I know he's, you know, he did the game he wanted to be in.
2: He still provided the emotional lift, and that's what I was intrigued by, how much of a, of a boost he would give the Ravens. Not that they needed a lot of incentive to avoid falling to 6-6, six and six, yeah. but it was a little extra. It was a little something, and that was a disappointment. It was so weird how it was all unfolding, because we find out Dez isn't going to play and then there was a feature on the Fox pregame show about Dez after we found out he wasn't going to play. And I look, I can't fault people. You've got everything locked and loaded. You're ready to go play the show. But uh, it, just, it just was a strange half hour to 45 minutes to get the game started. And that may be one of the reasons why the Ravens seemed a little off early it could on. It yes, You're it's a right. weird curveball right. that gets thrown at your head right before the game starts. Yeah, I mean,
0: you 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 could be exactly right about that. Yeah, you get that type of news throughout the team. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody takes a step back. Oh, man, that I feel bad for Dez. I can't believe that. You know, who knows? Yeah, you're also thinking, damn, was I around him? What else was he around today? Uh, could all be a part of it. But either way, at least Baltimore got back on the right track. And – They've, they've, you know, weathered this storm of COVID-19 and all the issues they've had to deal with one and one here. Now they're going to have somewhat of a normal week going forward. And like you have said many a times, I think they're getting close to being a healthier football team than they were, you know, five, six, five, six weeks ago. And I, they, they could go on a run here and be dangerous. And it's just going to be interesting to see if they could pull this off and get hot again and go into the playoffs and scare some teams in the AFC.
2: The best news of all, 13 weeks completed. Every game that was scheduled has been played. Yes, it has taken some shifting to get them all played. But 13 weeks, 13 weeks of games played. The NFL has to be feeling pretty good about that. All right, when we return, one guy who isn't feeling good about a decision that was made yesterday, Carson Wentz. Force fed the Hertz donut. Jalen Hurts taking over at quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll break that down when PFT Live continues right after this. I'm ready to go! Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls
0: in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover.
2: We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now, only on Peacock.
3: The Premier League is built on
2: hope. The hope of discovering a new
4: star. It
0: doesn't take long, but don't.
4: The hope of rewriting history. And And the hope of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after
3: week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA, and Peacock. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fantango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. Ha. <sighs> Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango. It's your ticket to the movies.
2: Doug Peterson has made the decision early in the week and he's made it known it will be Jalen Hurts, not Carson Wentz, starting when the Eagles host the Saints on Sunday. Here's Doug Peterson when he was asked why he's going with
1: Hurts over Wentz. Quite honestly, you know, we're we're not where we want to be as an offense. Um, We know that. And you guys have heard me say this a lot around here uh, in the five years that I've been here. And it's it's never about one person. And. Um, you know, we won a championship uh, a couple years ago with 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 a group of men, and and it's it's never about one guy. And um, you know, so I, I looked at the whole thing and and um, you know decided that that uh, for this week and and uh, you know to to look for that spark again to, to to try to get the the team over the hump to try to get. Um, everybody playing better right and 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 obviously the quarterback position is is included there so uh that's really the decision that i came to um you know moving forward this week
2: man i I, it, it it feels like it was a long time coming they gave carson wentz every chance to prove that he could find his way out of this mess play his way out of this mess, make that one throw that it seems like he's been wanting to make that would justify every decision the Eagles have made that has pointed toward him, drafting him, keeping him, paying him, and he's out of time. That's it. They got to see what Jalen Hurts can do. Congratulations, Jalen Hurts. You gets to do it against the Saints defense.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, yeah. What would he do? You get to play the hottest defense in the game right now. <laughs> he's been kicking
2: everybody's butt, but
0: maybe that's part of the reasoning too. Maybe that's where, you know, Doug Peterson looks at it and goes, Hey, the stuff we've been doing and, you know, the offensive attack we've been approaching each game with and the way Carson went, we got no chance if we play that way in this football game. Well, listen, I've been saying this since Monday. I thought this was the right move. I do. You know, one. It's just the the pile-on effect for Carson Wentz right now. It, it's all everybody talks about, and especially in Philadelphia. I mean, Darius Slay gives up a touchdown on a 50-yard bomb. They go, well, oh, Carson Wentz. You know, I mean, it, it's everything. <laughs> it's Carson Wentz's <laughs> fault for everything. So there is that issue. We've talked about it. I do think he's beaten down by the pressure, the scrutiny, everything about that. and. Yes, the offense does stink, and maybe Jalen Hurts can give that spark, right, and just a little jump start to that Eagles' offense and a schematical advantage to where the Saints go. We don't know exactly what we're going to see this week and the approach and everything like that. But I think Doug Peterson's right too, Mike, in saying, you know, this is more than just one guy. Uh, I still, I'm, I'm going to stand strong with that too. I know it hasn't been great with Carson Wentz. But, man, I watched the film back of that game against Green Bay the other day. There wasn't – he didn't do anything like – it wasn't like, oh, wow, people were wide open, and the times he did get sacked, there was one maybe where you go get the ball out of your hand, but other than that, you go – he didn't really even have time to get the ball out of his hand. It collapsed so fast and all of that. So, um, you know, uh, uh, good for them to make the decision. And this is the last thing, Mike, sorry. With Jalen Hurts, Okay. Yeah, you get the schematical advantage. Maybe it gives you the juice for the team. Maybe it all goes good and great. But if it doesn't and it fails, then you could just tell everybody in Philadelphia to shut up, and now we're going back to Carson Wentz, and look, this guy's not ready yet. It doesn't mean he's done forever, but he's not ready. So I think it does a number of good things for the Eagles right now as far as making that move.
2: Yeah, to the extent that Carson Wentz's confidence was shaken by the decision to pick Jalen Hurts because there's a concern – that he's going to be supplanted at some point by Hertz. Maybe the benefit is go ahead and do it. And if Hertz fails, yeah. maybe Wentz gets back some of his confidence. If Hertz thrives, then you know he's the guy. It's kind of a no lose outcome right. when you're in a no win situation if you're the Philadelphia Eagles. There are questions, though, about what the plans are going forward for Wentz. That was an exchange that happened yesterday when Doug Peterson met with reporters let's hear it in the big picture here what is the plan with
1: Carson Wentz do you see him as a quarterback you get get back to that elite level that we know he can play at I do and I know he will and um you know I, I still have a lot of belief and a lot of a lot of faith and trust in, in in Carson and and uh as I've said this is not about one guy we have a lot of things to fix offensively but uh but I do believe that Carson uh will uh will will, will get himself back to to uh you know that championship level
2: Yeah, Uh, that's what you have to say. Yeah, what else? We don't know. What else you going to say? Because you're either keeping him or you're going to try to trade him. Either way, you want to boost him. Because if you are going to try to move him, you want other teams to believe what you're saying. And this really is a strange window. For Carson Wentz. This Mm -hmm. annual December 8 to December 10 window. Let's go down memory lane here briefly. December 10 of 2017 is when he tore the ACL in a game at the Los Angeles Rams. December 9 of 2018 is when he suffered the back injury that ended his season early. And now December 8, 2020, he's benched for Jalen Hurts. So... Uh, season's going off the rails for Carson Wentz three of the last four years. The only difference is last year is when they were 5-7 and seven and he rose up and carried a bunch of no-names to the playoffs, which made it harder for him to placate people this year because the most recent memory is Carson Wentz was able to do it with no help in 2019.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, yes, that, that was the greatness of Carson Wentz. You know, and then, you know, again, of course, the year they won the Super Bowl, he could have easily been the MVP of football that year. So it's been, yes, up and down, as about as up and down as you can, I can remember with like a a young quarterback or anything like that. And that's why, you know, Mike, as this has happened and you think about this more over the last week, I just go, the Jalen Hurts pick at the second round was one of the dumbest picks of last year's draft. It's just dumb. I mean, you you really have, it, it made no sense to really help your football team out. It makes no sense, and you traded picks to draft a quarterback at number two, and you've paid him all this money, and then he's already dealt enough with the injuries and the Nick Foles stuff, and is he the guy and all that? And then, hey, let's bring in another guy to question it now, so we can so we can really question if he's the guy, and let's bring in a guy in from who played at Alabama and Oklahoma, so all the fans out there who know nothing, they'll still want to see him play because they're going to go, wait, he was at Alabama and Oklahoma and he won, and so we need to play him as soon as Carson Wentz struggles. It made no sense organizationally, that pick. The more and more you think about it, anything about it, it made no sense, and the Eagles have nobody to blame but themselves for this situation they're in right now. And the pressure of Carson Wentz and the city and everything around him that that was done by the Eagles. It really is. They they
2: put themselves here. So, Let me flip it around, though. Yeah. Let me flip it around. Mm-hmm. Because we saw what happened with Aaron Rodgers after the Packers took a quarterback. We saw how he reacted. Right. The Pack- And the Packers traded up in round one to get Jordan Love. Sure. And yes, he wasn't happy about it. And we know he wasn't happy about it. Brett Favre was his surrogate to the media early on to make it clear he wasn't happy. But when it was time to show up and play... He channeled that into something positive. And, you know, Chris, we've talked about this in different contexts, but I look at it this way. If Carson Wentz can't handle having Jalen Hurts as his backup, if he can't handle that, can he really handle championship-caliber football? Can he handle championship-caliber pressure? Can he handle the expectations that are going to be foisted upon him going into 2020, 21, 22? If he can't handle having Jalen Hurts there, what can he handle? And I—that—that's I, where, well, where I'm concerned. Maybe the idea was let's let's apply a little heat. And see what happens.
0: Well, I mean, w- was it not hot enough last year when they were 5-7 and seven and he had to, like, carry the whole organization? No, no. Why? Because that the wasn't expectations pressure? were low. I mean, because
2: they stink. We stink. Everybody they was bagging on seven, him last and year, though, was Mike. Hurt. Everybody
0: was saying the same yeah. thing, though, until he went on the run. Oh, Carson Wentz, he stinks. They should have never let go of Nick Foles. And then he carried the team and nobody could say anything because they were like, whoa, he is the team. So I think that was answered already. He's not... Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is established as one of the three or four or five greatest quarterbacks in the history of football if he just walks away right now. So that's a different scenario there. And their team is a lot better than Philadelphia, as we know. So that's where I just don't necessarily agree with that pick. Now, you're right. Carson Wentz, can he embrace pressure the city of Philadelphia and all that, definitely. You know me. Remember a few weeks ago, it bothered me that he had no idea that Doc Rivers was fired by the set Philadelphia 76ers. You know, it's one thing to like shut out the noise, it's one, another thing to live under a rock. I would tell Carson Wentz that, like, hey, man, embrace Philadelphia. Yeah, you suck. Tell them you suck and blah, blah, blah. And so what? Who cares? Keep fighting. They'll respect you at the end of the day. But the fact that he's like, close the world out and is kind of oblivious too. I don't think that necessarily is the right way either. We see other franchise quarterbacks where, you know, they tell you, hey, I try to block out the noise, but they listen to a good amount of noise to still know and motivate themselves and know what the talk is out there about their football team. That is one little aspect that bothers me, and uh, I mean, you know, maybe you're right, Mike. Maybe you're right about that aspect. We're going to see how he handles the situation. I'm just saying they didn't help it with that second-round pick and adding more pressure onto it with Jalen Hurts, who came from Oklahoma, and everybody just sees them win, and they just go, oh, he must be great. And, you know, that's not necessarily the case.
2: I'm still confused whether Doc Rivers was fired or hired. I've shut out the NBA so much. Well, yeah, I know know you don't. You don't have to. to. He He was hired. He was hired. No, he was
0: hired. But yes, okay. But you got my point.
2: Here's something that Shereen Williams and I kind of tripped over last night as we were talking about it. And I am ashamed and chagrined that I didn't think of this sooner, because when I look at the Carson Wentz situation, I look at his contract, $25 million in total compensation next year. No one wants him. He stinks right now. Who wants him? Who's going to take that obligation on with another 15 million that becomes fully guaranteed the third day of the 2021 league year. So you've got a thin window there to dump him. If you want to dump him before you get that extra financial commitment on top of it. And then it finally dawned on me. Who yeah. was his offensive coordinator the year that he was on track to be the MVP. And what do the Colts have at quarterback for next year? Currently, they have nothing at quarterback for next year. Phillip right. Rivers signed a one-year, wait for it, $25 million contract. So, Phillip Rivers, a-, a year ago, this would have been a no-brainer. In March, if you say to the Colts, you can have Phillip Rivers for $25 million or you can have Carson Wentz for $25 million. Oh, what? Yeah. 99.9999% of the population, and that's pretty much everyone except Philip Rivers' wife and kids would have said Carson <laughs> big part of the population. Carson wentz <laughs> right right okay maybe 99.99 but uh but they would have all said carson wentz right yes and so i and people are you know oh it's crazy is it crazy i don't think frank it's that Wright crazy. knows frank and here's the other here's the other way to look at it if the colts aren't interested then no one else should be. If Frank Reich's not interested, no one else should be because Reich knows him better than anyone else.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I I would be shocked if Frank Reich doesn't like him. I mean, I remember talking to Frank Reich early in Carson Wentz's career, you know, the draft process, all that. He was a huge fan of him. I think it's a very real possibility. It's a great job by Shireen connecting the dots there and thinking that far ahead because uh, I, I could see that happening. I really could. And who knows? I mean, I guess, I guess we're going to see how this plays out here, you know, as far as this last week of football. But, I mean, if if Jalen Hurts just plays okay and they win a game and, you know, win a game maybe two, I don't know, and it doesn't even have to look good, but they just win, I mean, Philadelphia is going to be in some spot here. I mean, I, I don't know what, where they go or what they do because also I, Jalen Hurts I don't think is ready to be a everyday NFL, every game starter quite yet. I don't, there were some good things he did last week, but there's some other issues there too. So um, Philly isn't quite the predicament. And I I think we're going to get a lot of answers here in
2: December. Let's take a break as we approach Festivus and it's time for the official (laughs) airing of grievances. We'll continue our Wednesday tradition of dusting off some things that have gotten under our skin. We'll do that when PFT live continues right after this
4: is there anything that can be done about the drops
0: is it a um concentration thing or is there anything in practice that can be worked on? yeah they,
3: they can catch the ball or they can get replaced by those that will catch it you know uh and it's just as simple as that like i've often said man i expect guys to make routine plays routinely and uh, when there's a pattern of that not happening then we got to look at you know who we're throwing the ball to um You know, the coaching of catching the football for those who are employed to do it at this level is not something that I got a lot of patience for. It's not a lot. It's not something that any of us have a lot of patience for. Those guys' job is to catch the football, um, particularly the routine ones. And so uh, where there's a pattern, you should expect to see less opportunities. And that's just uh, fair. Um, That's just part of what what this business and our game is about.
2: Mike Tomlin has spawned a new catchphrase that I love: "Make routine plays routinely." He said yeah. it after the game on Monday. He said it again on Tuesday, talking about his team. He was he was a little angrier Tuesday than he was Monday. Monday he was just relieved. He was relieved that they finally lost a game. Uh, we'll talk more about Tomlin coming up later in the program. For now, though, that's our segue into airing of grievances. And Chris, let me let me start this yeah. uh, today. Um. There was a report yesterday morning from John McClane of the Houston Chronicle that the Texans have created a five-person ad hoc advisory committee that will work with the search committee in an effort to set the table for Cal McNair, the owner of the team, to hire a new GM and a new head coach. And I, I, I was I had questions about this because one of my questions was Are these people just doing it for free? I'm not a big fan and uh, of the concept of giving billion-dollar companies free services. I'm always intrigued when these things happen. Is there a fee involved? Is it just out of the goodness of your heart? Why are you doing this? And when I started asking the Texans questions, I was told, well, it's been mischaracterized. It's really not a committee. It's just five individuals to whom the search committee and the owner will be talking. And that was when something kind of flashed for me. See, If you have too many cooks in a situation like this, if you have too many people in a situation like this, here's what happens. And I think we've all been there at one time or another. There's a decision we have to make. And deep down, we kind of know what we want to do, but maybe we're not sure it's what we should do, but we know it's what we want to do. So human nature says you then start asking people you know for advice, and you keep asking until... You find someone who tells you that what you want to do is what you should do. So what Cal McNair has created for himself here between Corn Ferry, the firm that constantly does the executive searches, and we'll bring plenty of names to the table, and these five different individuals who are all going to have direct lines to him, they're not going to create their own entity. And anytime you take a group and you put them together, it becomes its own being, and and it can be very productive that way. It, it, it takes on its own personality, and it can be more creative. It can be more effective when you trust people to work together, not independently, and report directly to the owner. Somebody's going to tell Cal McNair what he wants to hear. He has a predetermination as to what he wants to do. We all do as human beings. You don't come into this cold. You don't go into it fresh, as Frank Costanza would say. You have an idea of what you want to do, and you tend to listen to the people or the person who tells you that what you should do is the thing that you want to do. That's what kind of bothers me
0: about this. Well, I, I, I understand it. I mean, I'm I, listen, I think, you know, the first thing is too many cooks in the kitchen for one. I, I agreed with that, you know, Fine if you need that many cooks and I'm just telling you the meal ain't going to be that good. I mean, that's, that's, you know, give me one or two good cooks and then the meal will be good. I trust that more, but we're going to have 20 different people touch it and do all this stuff. I mean, I, who knows where that goes. And there's going to be so many different agendas and everything like that. And you're right. One of them's going to get a feel for where he's leaning and play to that angle and do all of that. But to me, it's one of the number one shocks in the NFL is the, the fact that, How little, how few owners really know people that know anything about football to direct them in the proper, uh, you know, direction to hire people. I mean, we see it all the time. Oh, hey, yeah, he was a GM twenty years ago. We're gonna hire him. He's out of touch with the league, but he'll tell us who to hire. Oh, yeah, Willie. I don't know. He's been sitting on his on this on his couch scratching his butt for the last 20 years. Does he really know <laughs> what's going on? Because I would tell you the results I see a lot of these times with this type of stuff. It looks like oh, he was sitting on the ba- the the couch scratching his butt for 20 years. It didn't hey, really work wait. out. So, I don't like that approach hey,
2: either me- way. Yeah. He possibly broke into Tom Brady's mansion and sat on his <laughs> well,
4: <couch>. yeah. <laughs> you know, got to put his buns uh, or his buns were. <laughs> <rip. laughs> <laughs> but, but,
2: you know, the, this is what's amazing to me. And this is one of the reasons I love the NFL. You've got this industry. You've got this group of people who know football, the coaches, the GMs, the yeah. people who really know it. Then you've got this other group of owners who hold the paper – own the teams make the money they don't know football so when you fire all of your football people right what do you do how do you know who the best person is to hire how do you make an informed decision and and, and, and look, I, I'm cynical about this because I'm cynical about everything, but at a time when there seems to be a very strong push by the league office to increase the overall percentages of minority coaches and general managers, like how much of this is just window dressing oh, to justify on. whatever come decision on. Cal McNair ultimately wants to make? I feel like that's what this all is. Let's make it look like we've got this grand production, and Cal McNair is ultimately going to do what he was going to do if he had no one giving him input it's
0: a it's all just for show and crap and everything like that it's all crap 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 it is I mean it's it's you know I I I, you know uh, okay I mean while we're on the subject yeah I mean hey I'm hearing rumors that the Lions are asking Ernie Accorsi who to hire again I mean what they he just helped you hire the last group it didn't go good oh and he's helped out with Gettleman and Ryan Pace and, you know, uh, Gettleman again with the New York Giants, Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. We'll see how that works out. But, I mean, I just I don't understand the approach by a lot of these owners and what they do. And um, I, I, you, committees or people who are not involved anymore, that just doesn't make sense to me to find, you know, the right guy or the right people to do this. And Houston just seems all over dysfunctional right now. I haven't liked a lot of their moves for a while here.
2: But here's the thing. That's why a true committee would work better, because through the process of working together, those biases and prejudices and just, just it's human nature. Yeah. You come to the table with the people, you know, right? You're go- If you have people you know and you like that you've worked with, that are friends of yours, that you respect— those are the people you're going to recommend for the jobs. You're not going to recommend the people you don't know or the people you don't like. So if you can get a group of diverse people to form a committee and hash it out together, that that's the better way to do it. That's why I was surprised the Texans were so free to admit that, no, there it really isn't a committee. It's just five different individuals who are going to talk to the owner. Well, he's going to talk and talk and talk until the one says to him, oh, you should hire this guy. And, hey, that's the guy I want to hire. Boom, it's done, and we're done, at least for now.
0: Yeah, Um, it's a big offseason for the Texans. Right after
2: this, with a closer look at this week's power rankings. Yeah, it's power rankings time. Tell those kids to shut up, Pete. We'll be right back.